Peace, beautiful ones. Welcome to the Tribe of Sons podcast. I'm your host, Kaya. Join me and my special guests each episode as we engage in honest conversations surrounding the personal birth, motherhood, and birth work stories of Black women. The narrative that has been created for us is ours to change together. Let's get into it. We were thinking, okay, this baby isn't coming anytime soon. Because this was the first time I got Braxton Hicks the day before my due date. Mm-hmm. So now I'm fully 40 weeks. I've went full term. So I'm sitting at home. I think my husband was doing errands like Costco runs mm-hmm. and, and laundry. I get up to go to the bathroom and my water breaks on the living room floor. Peace, beautiful ones. Today's guests on the Tribe of Sons podcast are Fanisa and Troy. They are, a beautiful, hello, <laughs> they, are a, they are a beautiful couple who were blessed to have an even more beautiful baby just 10 weeks ago. It was like 10 weeks ago, right? Yes, she's 10 weeks old. <laughs> she sure is. Okay, the world travelers currently reside in Brooklyn, New York, a city that I have felt a very strong tie to ever since I saw Sydney's brownstone and brown sugar, like, nope. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to own a brownstone. Someday I'm going to own a brownstone. It has not happened. You sound like Troy. Vanessa <laughs> <laughs> and I attended the same university and recently reconnected um, via Instagram last year. She had an amazing spirit then and not a thing has changed about her. Thank you both for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. It's an honor. So let's get to the story that brought that, that precious baby into your lives. Can you um, just briefly tell us about your family, your little family? Right. Um, Troy and I have a cute love story of meeting on a train in Brooklyn. <laughs> love it. Um, and so... The, D- the G train, to be exact. Okay. And so, um, four years later, right? Yes. Four years later, we're very happy with each other. We live together. While we were not planning for a child, my grandmother was very insistent that she only had a few more year a few more days left in her life mm-hmm. and we needed to conceive immediately. So um unbeknownst to us, she put it in the universe and the universe responded. Um the day of my birthday, I took a test after missing my cycle and telling Troy I, I think I'm pregnant. He's like, why? You haven't been sick. You, what makes you think you're pregnant? I said, well, I'm, my period is like clockwork. It didn't come on the full moon. I think I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, how soon before you'll know? So my friend who has a few children, she told me I needed to wait at least seven days before my missed period. I think it had been five. And so he was like, just wait until we get back from your birthday trip. Mind you, this birthday trip to Belize, of course, you go to an exotic island, you have cheap drinks you eat mm-hmm. every type of seafood you do all the things that you might not do if you were pregnant, or you were pregnant. <laughs> so waiting until after the trip to me was too much of a heavy conscience to wait right. so I took it and clear as day I didn't have to take a second test I just knew the first test was correct I woke him up in the middle of the night because I just got finished getting my hair braided mm-hmm. and I told him we were pregnant what were your what were your thoughts I smiled and said, you're going to be a mother. And I fell back to sleep. That's exactly how it happened. That's exactly how it happened. 
I mean, to me, I think, you know, I tell a lot of people, like, for a man, a black man, Mm -hmm. when you actually have someone you love Mm -hmm. and they tell you that news, you're not bothered. It's kind of like a peaceful, okay, I can't wait till this starts, you know, because a lot of us are in relationships or have children with people we don't even like. Right. So that's the biggest um, hang up I think black men have. And black women, because we're with people they don't want to be with, but they have to make it work. Right. You know, when you're with somebody you love, then it's just like, well, this is another blessing for us. And let's take it day by day. And that's how I felt. And, you know, it was it was an honor for me because, you know, I don't have any children and this was my first. So it was definitely a blessing. Yes, I love that. I love that. So what was uh, what was pregnancy like for you? Anissa? Right. Yeah. You know, I had such a beautiful pregnancy. I honestly can say, I remember praying after I saw, I think it was the movie, What to Expect When Expecting or something. Mm-hmm. And it was like the woman who was the birthing coat or she wasn't, a, she had she had like some kind of store all nurtured and catered towards moms and she wrote books. And then when she finally got pregnant, her pregnancy, like everything went wrong and it was horrible. <laughs> she felt miserable. Meanwhile, her like stepmom was pregnant with twins, walking in high heels and feeling great. I just remember praying that I would be that stepmom. Right. And I was like, I can legitimately say I had a beautiful pregnancy. I had no morning sickness. Um, my husband was supportive at the time. He was my boyfriend. He, we went on one last trip around my three months to plan, um, our announcement reveal Mm -hmm. and so um we decided to do like a little tour of europe we started in madrid then we went to italy to do um milan and the amalfi coast Mm -hmm. and then we ended in Amsterdam. so while we were in milan is when i mean when we were in amalfi coast is when he proposed so that was a beautiful feature of my pregnancy as well it's like okay i wasn't expecting I found out I was pregnant in May and in September, I got proposed to in August, September 19th. We had a beautiful, simple courthouse wedding at the Brooklyn courthouse with just my parents and our closest friends there. Mm-hmm. Um, it cost us how much? Like, I think I spent $82 a day. I love it. That's <laughs> what we spent on our wedding, you know? And so, um, it was perfect for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, I just was riding on this cloud of joy and happiness. I think that helped with my pregnancy being so pleasant as well, because I had that like confirmed partnership that supported love and I was still working. So I didn't like lose purpose. It also helped to keep me, I think, pretty small mm-hmm. because. I worked all the way up until I was 36 weeks. I'm a flight attendant. So that meant walking up and down aisles. And because I'm a diva, I would wear my heels. Absolutely. For, um, yeah, <laughs> I would. And they would be like, are you okay? Are you? I would change the flats for service in the air. But when you came on my plane and when you walked off, you saw the deep. You was going to be know. cute. <laughs> yeah. Walking through the airport, you weren't going to catch me slipping. You know, I might have been belly popping. But you were going to see some diva too. And you've so. always been that way. In college, you were always <laughs> cute, always had, you know, all the, the, the cute fashion. I remember. Aww. So I would expect nothing less of you Thank during you. your pregnancy. I was, I was just going through some um old albums. 
and I would say photos aren't as kind as your words, but I appreciate your love. But you know, for the time, because I do that too. I'll right. Back on old, like back then it was cute. Now we're like, right. what was I thinking? Right. <laughs> for right. sure. So what type of birth, like once you found out you were pregnant, um, what type of birth did you all um, decide you would have? Because Troy, I remember Vanessa telling me that you kind of take a holistic approach to, to life and um all of that so when you found out you were pregnant what were you thinking in terms of like where you would give birth what would that look like who would be there all of that okay so one of my one of my uh, co-workers we have the same birthday I call her my twin her name is Autumn Audrey Prophet right mm-hmm. and she she had a she had her first daughter and I was you know invested in their birth and her knowledge of having a home birth and she just seeing her and her wife go through it. It just made me really understand that's something I want to do because I want to control. I want to be there. I didn't want, you know, the vaccinations and all that other stuff that you are mandatory to get when you have a hospital um, birth, you know? And the one thing I told PJ was that, you know, this is our family, Mm -hmm. our kingdom. And I want to start everything fresh and do it our way, you know, because right. a lot of times I feel like we are so burdened with our history and our past of our family mm-hmm. and everything that we do, you know, that we want to please our parents. But and in my life is kind of like I do things for me, you know, mm-hmm. and since we were married now is something that we talked about a lot. And I just felt that, you know, having a home birth first and foremost would just have a stronger connection, mm-hmm. meaning my child, my wife, and myself. And it could be something that I can help other Black men be a part of because I'm a barber, you know? Yes. So a lot of people yeah. knew a lot of people knew about what I was doing. So they would ask me questions, you know? And just like when we got married at the courthouse, you know, a lot of people would inbox me like, yo, how much was that? Yo, that looks so dope, yo. You know, let me know, you know, information about it. Because a lot of people... They have other thoughts, but they don't want other people to know what's really going on in their mind. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just feel my purpose is just to just bring, you know, provoke thought. That's it. You know what I mean? And whoever wants to know questions, I'm willing to give, you know, because I'm a Libra. That's what we do. Yes. We give back to the universe. So that's the main reason, you know, just family, basically friends I've seen. And I felt like, you know, this is a great way to start our family off. I love that. And and for you, um, PJ, did you did you wrap your head around the home birth like immediately or did it take some time? No, you know what? I honestly had, I had always kind of liked and gravitated to the idea of a water birth. Mm -hmm. Um, Troy knew he wanted to do a home birth. He hadn't necessarily like committed to the water part, but for me, I always kind of really thought, okay, I want to do a water birth. And whether it was at home or in a birthing center, I just knew I wanted a water birth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think living in New York is what made it go from a water, finding like a birthing center that would do a water birth to being at home because New York has so many um, laws and mandated vaccinations and, me- and l- things that are in place that are different where you get a choice in other states if you don't do it in New York City, then it gets filed. It gets reported to CPS. Right. Um, you know, so so it was a lot more red tape doing it in 
the house where it's like like Trey said going through his friend Autumn we were able to like get the name of her midwife Mm -hmm. who sadly was unavailable for us because of a date like conflict conflict of my due date and her travel plans so but she referred us and some of his clients referred us to other midwives so it was like from our midwife we were given um, the name of a woman named Reverend Karma. I think her name was Reverend Karma Cloud. Yes. And um, she came, like my due date was January 26. She came, or January 20, what was it? January 20, she, my baby was born on January 26. January 24th was mm-hmm. my due date. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, it was 22nd. Yes. I said that all wrong. Yeah, she messed it all up. Yes, okay. I messed it all <laughs> it's okay. I was going to let her ride. I was, see, I was riding right. with it. She was, like, yeah, she was so time. confident. I was going to ride. I was going to <laughs> you, you, still get to, you still get to claim pregnancy brain right now, ma'am. <laughs> but yeah, so so it was nice. Like she came over in the beginning of December and did like this eight or nine hour class with us in our house. I love that. So like, and it was. It was just her and us, just the two of us. But it was like a birthing class. But more than a birthing class, it was like the first four hours was just like a straight up there couples therapy session. Yeah, that was that was very informative. Everyone needs that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just like really opened up dialogue with just questions she posed to us, and then had us respond had us write our responses and then share our written responses and then she would pick out words that we wouldn't even have paid attention that we used right. to try to dissect that meaning just helping us with the idea of us controlling because we kept saying we wanted to control we wanted to have the baby at home to control the situation mm-hmm. and blah, blah blah she was like control is like an enclosing word you know you need to be more opening and so she was right because guess what? We had little to no control over what happened. And thank goodness we have Reverend Karma that came in our lives early in the process and kind of mentally told us that. And then she did other like birthing class stuff, like gave me breathing techniques and told us the stages of labor and showed us different positions to use mm-hmm. and different places around our house um, that we could do it, which at the time, we weren't 100% sure we were going to do it because we live in a brownstone mm-hmm. and we live um, on the top floor of a brownstone. Okay. So initially in my mind, I was like, oh, I might be too loud. I don't want to disturb my 88-year-old <laughs> landlord that lives downstairs yeah. or, you know, her great niece. And, you know, so it was just like little things like that. But um, as time went on, once we did get more in contact with our midwife and told her about it. She said, no, I don't think it'll be a problem. I don't think you'll be loud as you think you will be. And I mean, I, I don't, I don't um, know how it would have all worked out, but I do believe she was right. Like, I'm glad I was at home and not at a birthing center or at someone else's house. Right. And there's something to be gained from the wisdom of someone who has been doing this work um, because she is able to, you know, just, you know, again, show you how your words do have power, um, give you that one-on-one, that one-on-one connection with a provider, whether it's a midwife or OB or whatever it might be. Um, 
it's priceless. And with a midwife, you're not feeling that rushedness. Like the fact that she was able to spend eight hours with you all in your home and like give you all this information. That is the standard of care that I wish all women could get when they are, you know, are. I agree. Yeah. Like it's so necessary to not, to not just, you know, go in the doctor's office, have that 15 minute interaction and then, you know, go about your business, like to, have someone who's fully invested in making sure that you know um, the information that's necessary to at least attempt to have the best possible outcome. That's priceless. Right. And to clarify, it wasn't my midwife that did the class. She referred me to a woman who who is a former practicing doula. But I got you. Yes. So it was a class and it cost, it was not free. It cost, but the way my husband and I both viewed it. It was like, you know, people will invest in, you know, the smallest things. Like you'll spend all this money on the baby's clothes mm-hmm. or the crib and things. So you have to invest in your mental health and the wellness of the parents as well as getting your child here, your birthing experience. Absolutely. So we looked at that as part of an investment because it was a costly expense, but I feel like it was worth it because at the time it put me at a ease where I was just starting to feel like my anxiety over giving birth. Mm-hmm. So it helped to, it helped to ease that anxiety that was beginning to build in me. Well, since you mentioned that, can I ask where some of that, mm-hmm. where do you think that anxiety came from? Was it, were people telling you horrible birth stories? Were people telling you like, it's going to hurt girl? Like what was, right. what was that? I think it, I think it was a combination. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was a lot of what she worked to, you know, discuss a lot of untruths that you see, whether it's on in movies, you know, in movies, mm-hmm. like she said, you see women screaming, clutching, you know, ah, and pushing. It's birth is always associated with like some dramatic, over the top scenes yes. in movies. It's never like the calm, bringing in life, you know, it never shows it that way in a movie. So from being a child until, until you go through it yourself. Yeah you're flushed with all of these horrific images and mental pictures of what birthing a child is like. You get what I'm 100%. saying? So I had, so I had that in my head. Um, I knew that I wanted to try my best to do a natural birth. So I was pretty tight lipped about the home birth, natural birth, water birth for a while. Mm-hmm. And then as I got bigger and bigger, you know, people start asking me, what hospital are you going to deliver? Are you going to use get the epi? Are you going to do this? So then instead of just keep on pushing people away, some people I started telling. Some people as in like my husband's mother. Um, my mother had been told, but you know, close family members, close friends. And I can't say that any of them were like, you go girl, except for my friends that had only like two of my friends that were mothers were like, you go girl, you can do yeah. it. Everyone else was like, Ooh, child. Ooh, I don't know about that. Have you thought about it? It's not safe. Ooh, let me tell you about my cousin that had a mm-hmm. offer. You know, it was, it was a lot of negativity. And I had a lot of friends that were pregnant and they were all delivering early. We were all around this same age of like 34, 35, mm-hmm. 33. And they all were delivering early as in like, 36 weeks 
are 30, one delivered at 34 weeks, another one 36, and another one 37 weeks. Within a month they of each other, they all delivered early. So with that in mind, I was like, oh, Lord, my baby might come a whole month early. <laughs> so I need to be ready by Christmas time. My baby might be here because my due date, if she comes a month early, right. you know. So that was part of my anxiety. I got you. Um, and that makes total sense. There is this, mm-hmm. um, in America in particular, there is this um, dramatized idea of what what birth is going to be like for everybody. And people will be like, it was like that for my cousin. So it's going to be like that for you too. Um, mm-hmm. Rather than instilling and, and um, speaking positivity into the new mom to be, we are unfortunately just told that no it's gonna hurt you're gonna scream it's gonna be all of these negative things but one of my main one of my main reasons for um starting this platform is to allow women to see that we give birth in so many different ways in so many different places and everyone's experience is going to be different a mom who's had multiple children will tell you that every pregnancy is going to be different so um, I'm glad that you had the support from your husband to, um, to, you know, let you know that you could do it and that everything was going to be okay, no matter, you know, matter what happened. Um, so I'd like to, for people to be informed. So if there are any other moms who live in New York who are um, planning a home birth, planning a hospital birth, is home, are home births covered in New York by insurance? Right. So um, my insurance with my job is through Blue Cross Blue Shield. So we were able to get my midwife covered. Okay. Um, she was covered, which made it uh, that much more affordable. It actually cost less for me to just hire my midwife than what my deductible was going to be using my insurance. Yes. Um, so that was a plus. Um, but it was a lot of red tape. A lot, a lot of holds and back and forth emails Mm -hmm. and phone calls with my insurance company to make that happen. I literally had to have the exact verbiage and the exact codes to tell them to file. So luckily, because my midwife's been doing this for 18 years, 17 or 18 years, her accountant that handles all of that for her knew the exact codes to give me. So, you know, just, I would advise whomever is in New York, definitely find out it's going to be considered. um, They're not going to, they're going to, when you call your insurance, they're going to say, oh, well, we have in-network midwives. Forget about Mm -hmm. it. If you are doing a home birth, you can say, I can't remember the exact verbiage. However, there is a way to file um, having someone that is not covered in your plan. Okay. So I will, what I will do, I'm sorry, I didn't have this ready for you, Koya. I will go back through my emails and I will forward you the verbiage of of what to say. Um, because it wasn't like a just simple, Oh, can you add my midwife? Because most of my pregnancy, I used my OBGYN who was covered within my network. And I switched to my midwife towards the end of my pregnancy 
which is why it seemed to take so long. Um, whereas if I had probably went with her the whole time, all of that would have been covered. Right. So you were kind of, you were pressed for time to get like all of these things done. Exactly. I will put the information that you send to me in your show notes page so that anyone who needs it can definitely access that so that they have a little less of a hurdle to get over. Right. And I will say another resource um, because we also had a doula and even though we did not use this group, they contacted me with several options that were affordable. Mm -hmm. And it was called Ancient Songs Doulas. And they have like a group where they you literally type in your information, your income, and you set the price, you say what you can afford. Right. And so from that price that you say I can pay the doula this amount, they um, then will give your number to other doulas to contact you and at least two or three doulas will contact you now depending on your price that might you know depend on their experience Mm -hmm. or how many years they've been doing it however they have all been adequately trained right and they're all a part of this group that has these same resources as someone that's been doing it for 20 years. Therefore they're in this group. So they're getting the knowledge from someone that's been doing it for 20 years. Even if they've only done a few births, they have this experience and these mentors nearby to assist them. So I feel like the ancient song doulas is another good resource. If you don't have that much, I'm sorry. I'm laughing because my, my mother just tried putting my daughter down and she looked at her like, no, Sheeta, I'm, I'm wild awake. I am not sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. I will also make sure that that, that is added um, because the more information you can have going into this, you know, the better you are going to be. Um, so let's get into your birth story. Can you start like maybe the night before or whatever, you know, kind of mm-hmm. led up to you going right. into labor? Right. Um, so the night before I started, the night before my due date, I started getting what I thought were Braxton Hicks. And I didn't have much of an appetite, so I didn't eat that much. That was a Tuesday night. And so Wednesday was my actual due date. I had my weekly checkup with my midwife. I told her about these little contractions, but because they weren't consistent, she agreed that they probably were just Braxton Hicks. And we had not had an ultrasound since before I went to go see my midwife. All of my ultrasounds were normal. Everything was good. I have a history of fibroids, but because all of my vitals, everything seemed well, we never got an ultrasound. So she left that night or that day and we were thinking, okay, this baby isn't coming anytime soon because this was the first time I got Braxton Hicks the day before my due mm-hmm. date. So now I'm fully 40 weeks. I've went full term. So I'm sitting at home. I think my husband was doing errands like Costco runs mm-hmm. and, and laundry I get up to go to the bathroom and my water breaks on the living room floor. So I'm, I call my husband. I'm like, um, where are you? He's like, I'm about to park the car on the block. I said, oh, I'm pretty sure my water just broke. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, he was just parking. So he like comes upstairs and 
He's like, have you called anyone? I was like, no, I just called you first, but I have to pee really bad. So I'm going to the bathroom. (laughs) And there wasn't any blood. It wasn't this huge puddle. So Mm -hmm. that's why I was kind of unsure because it was like a trickle down my leg. And then I just kind of stood still to make sure I wasn't tripping. And there was the puddle. So I was like, well, my smell. I was like, okay, it doesn't smell like pee. I definitely didn't just pee on myself. Or pee on the floor because um, <laughs> all I had on mm-hmm. was a gown, which is why it just hit the floor. And so um, from then, he had the good sense to like call or text Trinisha, our midwife, and also text LaVon, our doula. Mm-hmm. And so um, Trinisha was out like in a whole nother borough or something. And um, she was like, okay, well, how far are the contractions? I was like, well, first she was trying to establish if my water really broke. And then she was like, okay, well, yeah, your water probably did broke. How are the contractions? And she told us, well, you know, give me a call when the contractions get closer. Is that what she told you? Yes. Okay. And, uh, and then when he called my doula, she pretty much, even though he told her, oh, the contractions still aren't consistent. And the contractions would be like 15 minutes apart. Sometimes they might be every seven minutes, but there was no consistency. And she came mm-hmm. anyways. She came that night just to check on me to make sure, you know, mentally I was okay. And she was like, I'll probably be coming right back tonight, but try to get some rest. You, Because I told them how I wasn't able to sleep the night before because I kept having these contractions. I kept having these pains. So I didn't really sleep that Tuesday night. And here it is Wednesday night and I am in labor, but I can't, but the contractions might go down to like every, it's like every two minutes, then every Mm -hmm. five minutes, then every seven minutes, there was no consistency. So I, I just weathered the storm through the night. They tell me to try to eat. Of course, I have no appetite. I still don't vomit or anything dramatic like that. But I just, you know, when I would get the contraction, I would just breathe through it. I tried laying on my side. I tried all kinds of different positions. Every time I laid on my side, the contraction would come. So I eventually found comfort in my husband moved our beanbag from the living room to the foot of the bed. And I like put my knees on that and just like could rest my head Mm -hmm. on the bed, like kind of in like almost like a bent over, like praying position. That was the only piece I could get. And I slept for maybe about an hour or two that night. My midwife, she came back that morning around seven. And at that time it had been 12 hours or almost 12 hours Mm -hmm. since my water had broke. He was like, okay, well, glad you got some rest. Let's get up. We're going to get this baby out. <laughs> yeah. And I was kind of like, no, I changed my mind. But you know, yes. you, you're just tired. It wasn't that I didn't want her to come. I just was tired um, because, you know, I right. got rest, but it was not peaceful. So, and it's New York in January. So it's also not yeah. warm outside. <laughs> so, we did that. So we put on some clothes and went for a walk outside. My doula came back to assist me um, to relieve my midwife after about three hours. My midwife had just been going at like being on the birthing ball, bouncing on that, using the breast pump, trying to induce it that way. Um, I put on clothes, walked outside, 
we were climbing the stairs. What else were we doing? Walking laps in the house. Mm-hmm. Walking laps around my house. Um, and I would get contractions. They just never picked up enough. And so after, oh gosh, after about 20 hours of doing that, um, my my midwife, she checked me for dilation. I had only dilated like three centimeters. So she was like, um, yeah. So at, she was like, we need to go to, after 24 hours, I suggest going to the hospital. But a lot can happen mm-hmm. in four hours. A lot can change. She was like, I've seen people go from this to having the baby within 30 minutes or an hour. So keep doing what you're doing. So now my midwife, I mean, my doula, she's like, you know, doulas come from a more like spiritual, supportive, in tune with you and your birthing experience. Your midwife, they are a natural approach, but at the end of the day, they still mm-hmm. are the medical advisor in the room. So um, the doula was kind of like my cheerleader of let's get this done. We can get this done at home. You can get this done. Let's okay, let's do it quicker. Yeah. Walk, skip steps. Do you know she was just like pushing me even harder? She was using acupressure, pressure pressing on like different um, pressure points on my legs and different places on my feet that are known to help induce labor. Mm-hmm. Um, we were trying a lot of different things. What else did we try? That was that's you hit everything. So Troy had blown up the the pool in our living room. But he knew not to fill it up with water until I was in, like, what we call active labor. So we never filled it up with water. Um, By the time we got to hour 24, we asked. She was just saying, well, after 24 hours, you get more risk of infection. Um, My midwife had me wearing, like, the pads so we could keep track with the color Mm -hmm. of my amniotic fluid that was just slowly continually leaking out um, to make sure that it was none of the meconium um, in mm-hmm. it and eventually it did they did it did start showing more of like a yellowish tin or something that made her say okay that might be a little meconium huh. so at 24 hours we basically con we begged her for like four more hours yep. and she said at the end of the day it is your choice I can only advise you as to what is safe and so at 28 hours she was pretty much like okay so which hospital are we going Mm -hmm. to and my husband and I both are like people that speak things into existence we believe in fruition we believe in manifesting our lives so when I tell you I did not have a bag packed for the hospital I had not researched the hospital because I wasn't having the birth in a hospital I was birthing this baby at home in the water there was no use of me putting energy into plan B of going to ain't no plan B (laughs) ain't no plan B exactly so um, then it was like, well, what hospital are you going to? We're looking at her like, well, what hospital should yeah. we go to? What hospital mm-hmm. is good? I never did a tour of a hospital. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> and um, she referred us to a hospital all the way in Manhattan. We live in Brooklyn. But it was her choice because it's known for its midwifery program. 
um, is known for accepting a lot of transfers from home births. And she felt like that location in Manhattan would be a shorter wait and more attentive than the location in Brooklyn. So with contractions, we rode the 45 minutes that night um, to Manhattan. And what um, was that like for both of you? I want to know what that was like for both of you. Well, for me, I just wanted no traffic. Right. <laughs> so, you know, because in New York, you never know they could be working on roads. And I just didn't know how, what could have happened in the car, right. you know. But, um, but at the same time in my mind, I was like, yo, this would be a dope story if my daughter <laughs> was born in the car. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, you know, I kept checking on her, see if she was all right, see if she's in pain. But PJ, the type of person who doesn't let you know exactly how much she's yeah. hurting. You know what I mean? I mean, she's already been having contractions since Monday. Now it's Thursday, Thursday night, you know? So she was doing all this. She was having all this pain but she still was a warrior you know a goddess in my eyes you know so to me I was like you know you just gotta you just gotta get her to the hospital you know she's done the hard part now you know now it's just kind of you know just letting her know that you're here you're not scared and that you believe that the purpose is its purpose you know so once once we got to the hospital she's we sat at a park which was kind of like going around in circles in New York and then we had to walk her to the emergency exit. So now that's like seeing she's okay, stopping her and leaning on mm-hmm. me to catch breaths because she's having contractions, then taking little steps here and there and then having another contraction at the stoplight. So these are the vivid uh, memories I have of this, you know? And once we got to the emergency exit, then it was kind of like, okay, what's the next step? And then, you know, then they got us to a room and then that's, that was us just getting to the hospital. Yeah. So y'all get there, and then how do they yeah. proceed to, to get you? Right. So the first thing they did was they, um I, I had both my midwife and my doula there with, with us. So that was good because we wouldn't have known what to say or do. So immediately my midwife was like, can y'all get her a chair and take, cause they were like, Oh, you need to take her around. She was like, no, get her a chair and get someone to push her. Please. Mm-hmm. So they pushed me up to the um, floor. They take me to the triage and um, they look over my birthing plan and they pretty much tell me, okay, they, my midwife had no jurisdiction. She didn't have any agreement with that hospital to work there. So, the midwife that was on duty then introduced herself to me and started reading over my birth plan. So she goes, you know, you're at a hospital now. So some of this stuff that you didn't want, is going to happen. Like basically the automatic vitamin K shot, the erith, I can't even say it, the erythromycin, something to that nature, mm-hmm. the eye ointment. They're like, okay, that's automatically going to happen. Um, do you, you're here because you need to get this baby out. So you say you don't want any inducement, but do you agree to maybe using a drug inducing such as Pitocin? So I was like, yes, that's why we're here. We're here to receive the Pitocin. They're like, okay, well, when these contractions come, you might receive pain. They offer me right away the epidural. No, I don't want to do the epidural. Just give me the Pitocin. Yes, but then people get the contractions and once you get the contractions, it might be too late for us to do the epidural. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. 
I'm sure, you know. So then she kind of warns us that the doctor that's on duty is kind of a by-the-book old-school doctor. So when he comes in, I don't even remember his name. Um, when he comes in, he introduces himself and once again hits me with the epidural talk, the gas, or pain pills, saying you need to do it now versus waiting till later. I was like, no, thank you. Just give me the Pitocin so we can have this baby and go home. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so at this point, I've been in labor for almost like 30-something hours. And so they start the Pitocin. But before they do, they can they take the ultrasound. They see that I have fibroids. But more importantly, they see that my fluid, fluid is so low that it's less than like, if it was supposed to be 12, it's down to like one milliliter or something like that. I just remember them saying one. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be around 12 and it was down to one. So that was the issue with the Pitocin. When they started the Pitocin, every time I had a contraction, it was squeezing my poor little baby. And so her heart rate would increase. And after that happened twice during contractions, the on-duty nurse, she stopped the Pitocin. But she didn't tell us. Um, My midwife left, but my doula stayed with me. And... um, and so my doula is the one who knew and said something about the Pitocin being stopped and kept asking. What really happened was the shift was about to change. Thank God, because I told you the initial doctor was like old school. So I'm glad the doctors changed, yeah. um, the midwife changed. And the midwife we got, as soon as she walked in, my doula's face just brightened because she was kind of like, oh, we should have stayed in Brooklyn. We should have went to the Brooklyn hospital. I know the people mm-hmm. there better. But when my doula saw the midwife that was on duty, she knew her because they had both been at like this city council for birthing rights. And apparently the midwife there is like the head midwife representative of like this midwife union in New York. So she knew she was, she trusted her. So because my because my doula was so excited about seeing her, it made me trust her. If that, yeah. yeah. So kind of ease some of your feet, let your worry. Right. So even the things that she was speaking to me pretty sternly about, I received it better than I probably would have if my doula was still really defensive. Wouldn't you say? I would. Because she came in and she was like, okay. She took control. She sure did. She took control. She was like, I know here in your birth, I've read over your birthing plan. I know you don't want multiple vaginal checks. However, I can't take the word of another nurse, of another midwife. I need to know for myself what I'm working with. And so like little things like that. So immediately she was like, okay, you don't have enough fluid. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to insert a tube into your uterus so that you can get more fluid that might add cushioning so that when you have these contractions it won't squeeze the baby it was her that explained that to me and that knowledge like how you started saying you were a nerd i'm a nerd i feel empowered when i have knowledge when i know what's going on i respect doctors that are very um that are very clear transparent with you on what's going on Mm -hmm. and so her giving me that visual and explaining to me why they were so concerned and what she was doing to try to to try to prevent my heart, my daughter's heart rate from dropping, that 
I was in agreement with. Even if it was something that I did not want on my birthing plan, it mentioned me not wanting that. I was okay with violating my birthing plan because I understood why it would benefit my child in the birth of my child. Um, that's however, because my body was stubborn, um, still did not help. We, we were able to turn the Pitocin up to about four. However, my contractions mm-hmm. were still coming. They just never came close enough. Like they would come every two minutes, every five minutes. Um, my bladder was just going through H-E-double-L. Um, mm-hmm. So eventually around 40 hours past my water being broke and going through this labor, um, they I was looking at my husband giving him death eyes. <laughs> and we were, I was in the bathroom because I kept having to get up try to, and get all the equipment because you know, I got these IVs on me. I got the compression socks on my legs because when I was in college, I had a blood clot. So they labeled me um, high risk just because of my history of having that one blood clot in my history. Um, So it was this whole ordeal for me to even get up and go to the bathroom. And so I'm in there and I can't pee, but I'm like in so much pain. But for some reason, I cannot release my bladder to pee. And I'm looking at him and I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Cut this baby out of me. Tell them I'm over it. I'm done. And Troy, you say. I just look back at her because like, it's not even what she's saying. It's first she doesn't okay. look at me because she's in, she's in so much pain. But when she finally looks at me, I can tell in her eyes that she's done. Like she's, she's yeah. not really she's defeated, but she's ready for the next chapter, you know, because yeah. You can only be so strong on your own for so long. And I think she was just weak. She was tired. You know what I mean? I think that was more it. She couldn't eat, you know, and to really have energy and to have strength, like you need some type of food, you know? And, you, you do. Know, and, you absolutely and, do. And, you know, worry and all that stuff, that takes a lot of energy, you know what I mean? And, you know, just, just being there, I was like, now I'm just like, okay, now you're at this point. You know, even though you wanted to do this, I told everybody, man, this is what she wants, this is what we're doing. But then that's when <laughs> our the midwife doctor came back and she grabbed her birthing plan, was like, Fanisa, this is what you want and we're sticking with this. We're not giving up. You know what I mean? So that's when you know you're with the right person. And then from mm-hmm. that from that mm-hmm. moment on, we trusted everything from her because then it refocused PJ again and let her know like I'm not okay. giving up, you know. So Let's try this until we can't, and then we'll go to the next step, you know? And that's the one thing I just believed in with the whole, the whole birth was more like do what you can and then go to the next step because you have to believe in the process, you know? And, mm-hmm. and then right. that's what happened. And so for us at that time, the next step was to try an epidural because she was saying how if I were to have to get a C-section, I would have to have the epidural anyways. But if I did the epidural now, around 43 hours, it would give us enough time for me to rest, and also, which would help my exhausted body and brain. And um, it would also give, me, give them a chance to hopefully turn up the Pitocin without 
me necessarily um, feeling the pain of the contractions and their hope was that it wouldn't put stress on the baby. However, once I got the epidural, I was able to rest, but they still weren't able to amp up the Pitocin without her heart rate increasing. So they kept it on like a steady four. And by the time I really like came to around 46 hours, when she checked me, I still had only dilated somewhere between five and six centimeters. And with 48 hours being the cutoff, they were like, oh, now we have to plan a cesarean. And um, we originally had planned to, with our home birth, keep the placenta and encapsulate the placenta and keep the umbilical cord and make um, word art out of it, either spelling out our daughter's name, Nuri, N-U-R-I, or Mm -hmm. the word love, or making a heart, whatever, however long it was, whatever the lady could do with it. We had already paid, um, her name is Wendy Dula. She does that as a service. And so we had already paid our deposit for that. And she knew about our birthing going on at the hospital and had agreed to pick it up just to let her know that's what my husband was supposed to do. Well, once you give birth in the hospital, if you have a fever, it's automatically considered that you're or you're everything you're considered to have an infection. So even though I had been there for over 12 hours, I don't know how, how long, but I've been there forever didn't have a fever, but literally after two more blown IVs and not eating for about three days, I started getting the shakes and um, they were like, wow, well, let's take your temperature again. And they were taking my temperature every hour. It was fine. Just one time they took it literally 30 minutes before the surgery, I had a fever of like a hundred point something. So there went the idea of me keeping my placenta and um keeping the umbilical cord um so I was a little bummed about that I knew that automatically and I also knew in New York automatically because of the fever um it's also assumed that the child could have infection so the child automatically goes to the NICU and the mother is automatically shot up with antibiotics before and after the cesarean as well as the baby is shot up with antibiotics so a lot of things that I did not want which is why earlier in this conversation I said all the control we thought we wanted to have (laughs) right all went out the door um but I will say that while my husband was waiting to come into the um because they took me into the room for surgery and they had him wait until he was called in I guess until they had began to prep and everything for the surgery and that's when he came in and he was the best distraction asking me about our child's middle name because we we didn't have a middle name we only had so let me tell you that story (laughs) so with the with that story was so while they were prepping her I went to the bathroom because that's my thinking palace you know no matter where I go you know Mom's too. <laughs> so, so I went to the bathroom and then something came over me, just said, look one more time for an African name, right? Because I'm real, mm-hmm. I'm real big at just start your name starts your legacy, right? And Absolutely. so I'm, I'm, I'm going through African goddesses on Google. So since I search and search so much, I never go through the first 
couple um, links because it don't give you any, any good things. So I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. I'm a visual right. person. And I see an image of a young black girl looking in the mirror. And then it's a reflection of our God itself. So I click, so I mm-hmm. click on that link and then I'm reading it. And there's like names of goddess, African goddesses. So the first name I see was Yamaya. So then I'm like, yo, I love that already. So then I started to read it. And the first thing it said was the goddess of the ocean. And if anyone knew, anyone that knows me and PJ, they know that we love water, Mm -hmm. you know, and PJ wanted to have a water birth. And so I started reading more about it. I'm just like, yo, this is fire. Like this is Yuri, Nuri Yamaya Johnson just kept ringing in my head. So I started smiling. So I go back into, you know, the surgery room and she's already strapped down. They're starting to cut her open and everything. And the first thing I ask her is, um, I have, I have a name. I think that I want you to hear. Um, she was like, what is it? I was like, so I started, I didn't tell her the name first. I told her the, the, the meaning of it. And she said, I like that. And then she was like, what's the name? Mm-hmm. Cause I knew I had to get her with that first before I gave her the name, you know? And then she heard the name. She said, I love it. And then right there before, you know, I guess maybe like five or five or eight minutes before they pulled her out, we came up with her name right there on the spot. I'm glad you had that that moment to um, to get that clarity while you were in the bathroom (laughs) and, you know, (laughs) using that as a time to that. That was beautiful. That's so beautiful to me that in that moment you were able to come to her and ease her, you know, anxiety as she's about to, you know, go through this ordeal that she's about to go through. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I was just, I was just listening to my ancestors, man. They didn't want me to give up. They didn't sure. want me to give up. And so then what happens? Oh my so honestly, I tell everyone I had a beautiful pregnancy. I was due some drama. I was in my head because I never mentally prepared for a cesarean. So I was mm-hmm. knowledgeable about it. I did not, I knew I think I had heard that you're awake, but it didn't really register in my mind what that meant. And so being that I've never had a surgery before, I tell people now that having that cesarean was a bit traumatizing for me because it was one, my first major surgery. Two, you're wide awake and you can't see anything. You can just hear the suction. You can, you know smell the like burning of something um and you can feel pressure but you don't feel pain but with Troy there and even with my daughter when she was taken out it it would kind of it was a good distraction however your arms for me my arms were taped or not necessarily taped but they were strapped down in a T position and my legs were um down so I was in like a crucifix position is how I started when I before they even pulled up the curtain and so even when my daughter came out all I could do was turn my head from left to right and that Mm -hmm. was my best way of holding her so she had to do skin to skin with my husband which was nice our midwife um the midwife that was there she like made sure that we got like 30 minutes with her which I'm sure probably isn't the norm And um, she let him, she took a lot of videos for us and took pictures for us. And like I said, let 
showed him how to put her inside of his shirt so they could do skin to skin. And so yeah. that was nice. Um, and they are so close to this day. I was told that's because you did skin to skin with my baby. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, the sad part was like when she came out, as soon as she saw me, she was like sucking on my cheek. She, I was just always like, she would have latched on immediately. Cause she did. She was like yeah. trying her best to latch onto my face. And that little girl's been hungry ever since. So <laughs> after they're done, like basically giving her her shots, and they get her all ready. They take her off to the NICU. And so they eventually told him, well, Dad, you can you can follow us and we'll take you to the NICU so you can continue seeing your daughter. So I guess that's when he left. Well, I'm still in there for like another 45 minutes by myself. Mind you, I never take pain pills, not for my menstrual, not for headaches, not for anything. But today, anytime I feel any pressure, I'm like, I need more pain medicine, sir. Excuse me, sir. I need you to push more pain medicine. I can feel something. And I don't want to feel anything else. So I'm freaking out and I'm asking for yeah. more and more and more and more pain, whatever. I don't even know what they were giving me. I don't know what he was shooting at me. I just kept asking for more because I mentally was starting to freak out because at this point, the midwife that I know is gone, the nurse that had been working with me was gone. And I'm just having this random conversation with the anesthesiologist that's on my side of the curtain that I can see. All I can think about is I signed off papers before this agreeing to a blood transfusion if they needed to because of the high risk possibility of me bleeding a lot due to my fibroids. And Mm -hmm. I also signed off that I know I could die. So even when Troy was leaving, I'm like trying to say like, I just want you to know I love you because all I can think of is like every good doctor episode I've seen. So eventually I get wheeled to a room. I finally drift off to sleep. And when I wake up, I'm still in that room kind of by myself because he's in the NICU. I don't have my phone. I don't have any of my belongings with me. Um, and because I had that surgery and I, I and my daughter was sent to the NICU, I wasn't able to see her until about 14 or 15 hours later the next day. Because they require you to have at least like 12 hours rest in bed. And then I had to wait on the doctors to come approve me by checking my vitals to have my catheter removed. And then I had to use the bathroom on my own before I was given permission to like leave my room. So all of that had to take place before I could then walk down to the NICU because they don't let you ride around in a wheelchair um, after your cesarean, um, because they want you to walk to move the gas. So even though you just had major surgery, they want you to walk so that you can make sure not to get gas built up. So that's what I did. I walked down to see my baby and I would have her latch on to try to get that colostrum flowing. Mm -hmm. And I would do that at least three times a day, even though she was feeding every two hours. It was a lot for me to just keep doing that. So I would do it like at least three times a day. And eventually they started giving my daughter like um, the Similac formula out of the bottle because while she was in the NICU, they tested her for all these things. They were shooting her up with all of these different antibiotics, as I told you. So by day two, she was Mm -hmm. jaundiced. And um, so they put her under the UV lights. And so when I would go up there, sometimes 
they would have already fed her. So then I couldn't get her to latch on because they wanted to limit the amount of time she was out of the UV rays. So then sometimes I would go up there and literally just look at her. Like I couldn't hold her. I couldn't do anything. So by day three, um, I got lucky. She was able to be put back in the room with me. And they were telling me, you know, make sure you're pumping. But I was having stomach pain. So by day three, I continued to have stomach pains. And the attendee that was on on duty, she um, she had me, she 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 felt my stomach and was like, mm, something doesn't feel right. Well, I'm supposed to be released this day, so I'm like, I know my stomach hurts, but I just had a baby. That's why my stomach hurts. Let me go home, you know. And she was right. like, let's just do an X-ray before we release you. When they did the X-ray, they found out I had an ileus, which is basically gas trapped in my intestines. And so the solution for that ileus was to stop me from eating any foods or liquids because they didn't want me putting anything on top of the gas in fear that mm-hmm. my intestines could twist. So I had, but the good thing was my baby was better. So she was in my room. We were worried about her not being better, but she was back in my room and ready to be released. But now mommy was sick. <laughs> so my husband was, pretty much my trooper like he held her and he would feed her the bottle because even just holding her on my stomach once she would start to kick and get upset with frustration that my milk wasn't coming out fast as the bottle milk came out mm-hmm. it would just hurt because of the gas pains I had in my stomach um and the only solution the only fix for it was for me to walk that was the only way to get better was to walk And so I was walking, I was doing all this. Finally, I think they gave me like some laxatives and that helped me make a movement. Well, by then Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, I'm ready to go home. Day five, I've been here a long time. It's been real, bye. Nope, now my heart rate was really high and I had a low grade fever. So then they do a CT scan and they realize my uterus is like overly inflamed. So they're pretty sure I have an infection. So they shoot me up with all these. So they do more blood tests, blow a few more IVs. (laughs) And um, they give me an antibiotic. My temperature and fever go down, but I'm taking pain pills for the fever to go down. At first I was denying the pain pills because I was like, I'm already constipated. I just got over this gas thing. The last thing I want is more pain pills. I feel like all of the pain medication is what led to me being so constipated and back to my whole system just being off on top of giving birth to a child. That's what happened. Right. And so I at first wasn't taking the pain pills, but they were worried that my pain was what was causing my heart rate to be elevated as well. So I started taking just like the Motrin, nothing too severe. Well, they get my, my numbers healthy enough to release me. So I finally go home a week after giving birth to my child and um, we get to go home. And the blessing was my mother's retired. So she was able to come home with me. And that was, that was well. So we went home that Friday and I'm home Saturday. I'm happy to be back home and I feel pretty good. And I'm moving around the house. I'm doing everything. So by Saturday night, my ankles look like elephant trunks, you know, they're huge. So mm-hmm. Sunday, my family's like, you need to stop doing so much. You're walking around. You just gave a birth, blah, blah, blah. 
by Monday, I have a bit of an appetite, but I can't really eat that much. So I'm eating off of like a saucer plate. So I literally had a saucer plate of pasta and salad on this one little saucer. That's all I had. And that's all I had all day. And by that evening, I was like, I feel sick. I feel like I'm going to throw up. They're like, oh, it's probably the gas. I was like, well, I've been sitting down all day. So I feel like my gas has built back up because I haven't been walking Mm -hmm. like I was. And um, someone told me about a gas releasing position, which is basically like a downward dog on your knees, pretty much. And so I did that position and I was like, oh, I feel like I'm about to throw up. They're like, oh, the gas is probably about to release. I was like, I don't know. And Troy literally said, oh, PJ never throws up in all of his life. You know what I mean? I've never thrown (laughs) up. He was like, yeah, she never throws up. And then I just like threw up all of my intestines. (laughs) And so I'm like, I'm going to go lay down. And I continued that night to throw up like two or three more times. So that took us back to the ER, back to the same hospital, this time without Mm -hmm. my daughter. And I was there for like another like three days. And when I was sent home because of the CT scan they did, I had, I think it's iodine or they give you something that's in your system that you can't give your daughter your milk so you're told to pump and dump so once Mm -hmm. again she's still bottle feeding but we were blessed that um wendy doula the one who was supposed to do our placenta encapsulation she actually helped us find a network of donor milk and so we were able to get all of this donor milk for like my daughter's first month of life We had, you know, her with supplemental donor milk and occasional um, formula. But for the most part, she had donor milk, um, which was such a blessing. And for those who don't know, donor milk is free. Um, You know, there are also milk banks, but we were blessed that we didn't have to resort to that. We used that donor milk um, in hopes that my milk would come in. Spoiler alert, it did not come in fast enough. (laughs) But um, after three days of getting my infection, that was the cause of me throwing up and everything and being away from my daughter. When I got back home, I just lacked the motivation to pump as much as I probably should have. And then my milk production was less and her frustration level with latching on was higher. Like when she would latch on, when she still latched on well, it just was frustrating to her that she wasn't getting the milk she wanted and that she was used to getting from the formula bottles. Right. So that is pretty much what I would say is my birthing story in a long nutshell. (laughs) Yes, sis. And thank you for sharing your story here. It means a lot that you shared on my platform. Because the goal is to help others navigate their journeys with the information that they can gain from others. And I'm willing that healing is ongoing for you in both physical and emotional and mental. Because as you know, as we've discussed, it's a lot. Giving birth to a little tiny human being is a lot. And no matter how you do it. And so once you got back home that last time, how did postpartum go for you? Was it kind of smooth sailing um, after that? You know, I just have such a great appreciation for my support 
and even more mm-hmm. respect for all mothers from all kinds of, you know, whether they're a single mother, whether they're a married mother with multiple kids or a working mom that has to go back to work. I just can't imagine. I've been very fortunate that I have been off from work for almost four months now. Um, and that my mother, as I stated earlier, she's retired. So she was able to come up. She actually came up my third day in the hospital and stayed with us since that hospital. Um, she was with us for that first three weeks of my daughter's life. So mm-hmm. um, my husband, he was able to be with me and be off from work that first week um, my daughter was born so that he could be there for me. Um, that was a blessing. Even when he went back to work, he only works three days a week. So just having him home those four days and having my mother there really allowed me to take naps, to rest, to not be the one that was always waking up in the middle of the night. Um, Since she was bottle fed, instead of breastfeeding, I've been able to sleep in at night. Um, She now has a better sleeping schedule, I would say, at night, too, just because, you know, she she's she eats a lot more so she sleeps longer at night right. um mm-hmm. so postpartum for me has been well um have I beaten myself up in the beginning especially yes like it was really tough on me when my daughter was struggling with the formula like when we stopped getting the donor's milk and she was transitioning right. to the formula she was just spitting up a lot trying to figure out which formula was best for her because once again, I had all this breastfeeding, breast pumping, all this stuff, you know, even for my registry, never Mm -hmm. looked into formulas because formula, we were doing breastfeeding. We're going to breastfeed our child. (laughs) I was breastfeeding my child till she was two if she wanted it, you know, like I, I, I had my mind so set on what was going to happen. So it was kind of like a, the breastfeeding thing was something that was a little bit of a personal hurdle for me to conquer mm-hmm. because everyone tries to be really positive. And I had a lot of people being like supportive. I had one of my sorority sisters, she had um, mailed me like some cookies from Milky Mama. She had mailed me yeah. some teas. I had another friend that had mailed me some teas. Another friend recommended fenugreek and all this other stuff. So I was, trying all these things and I'm trying to pump and you know you're just tired and you're over it so I think that was probably the hardest thing for me just because I felt like my baby if I could just breastfeed her she wouldn't be so upset she wouldn't be so fussy because she she was so used to having that donor milk which is breast milk so she can drink it as much as she wants to because it's breast milk formula right you have to make them wait every two to three hours oh she didn't understand that and she would just scream bloody murder and just act like she was so hungry and I just would feel like I just wish I could breastfeed you I don't know what to say I don't know what to do and no matter how positive and supporting every supportive everyone was trying to be you know it it still was very very frustrating so that was probably my own private personal love but once I kind of accepted, like, okay, she's eating the formula. This is what it is. Then I, I definitely like lifted that burden off of myself that I like placed on myself. 
And I'm so happy that I'm so happy to hear that you were able to work through that. Um, and support is such an, uh, uh, as a doula, um, and then just as a sister mm-hmm. friend in general, support is so major for a mom after she has given, even during pregnancy, pregnancy, postpartum, the fourth trimester, right. whatever it might be. Support is everything. If you are in this alone and you feel like, you know, who's, who's on my side, um, you get in your head a lot you like postpartum depression starts to kick in so high five to all of your support system that was you know just trying to get you through um with kind gestures with kind words it matters it truly matters anybody who's listening support moms we need the support during pregnancy after pregnancy throughout motherhood like support is very necessary right and to your point like even just those DMs, I literally had, I had messages from you that were encouraging. And one thing I didn't say, like, I read your birthing story, like, that was encouraging to me. I was like, okay, I can do this. I had um, one of my other sorority sisters, Althea, who did hospital births, but each time all natural. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just was like, okay, I just was growing, drawing my strength from other strong mothers that were supportive, such as you, um, Althea, my um, sorority sister, Michelle Daniels, like they all were just so supportive. And it was like other people that I wasn't even that close with before. Now we like text on a daily or weekly basis because of this little mother sisterhood that we have, because I have one coworker that I have not seen. She changed like she's still in the same field, but she works for a different carrier now and lives in Vegas versus being in New York. But she started texting me. Carla would text me and she made sure to like send me things from our registry and she still checks on me. And um, one of my childhood best friends, Maria is her name. She literally will text me and be like, well, how are you doing? Like she'll check on me and not just Nuri because <laughs> everybody. Everybody's right. checking on the baby now, but she'll always make it a point to call me and ask me how I'm doing. So that's so important, like for all people who are mothers and people who are not yet mothers or non-mothers, yeah. aunties, uncles, just to check on that mother, not just on the child, because everyone's excited to see the child. No one's as excited anymore to see the mother. So whoever is excited to see the mother is now their new best friend. <laughs> For yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So Troy, in our, um, Vanessa had to fill out a guest questionnaire mm-hmm. um, prior to the episode. And she mentioned that you mentor young men who have been in juvenile detention. So my, so one, much gratitude to you for being someone who wants to be a positive figure in their lives. Oh, thank you. Um, but if any of them were, you know, entering into fatherhood, what would be some advice or wise words that you would give them, you know, based off of your your journey into fatherhood? Uh, first and foremost, I would say communication is needed. You know, um, I think you need a strong family background or friend background, you know, because I don't know what people are going through, but you need someone you can count on that can listen to you, you know, Uh I just feel like a lot of times men are allowed to be vulnerable, but we have a lot of questions, mm-hmm. you know. Um, sometimes you just want to, you might not know something that you might think people might think is dumb to ask, but I think you need someone you can trust, 
you know, because sometimes you can't go to your parents, you know, and either mm-hmm. even a close friend or a coworker, just someone you can trust that you can just ask them anything and go to them and just let them know that you can just express yourself. That's definitely needed for a young man or any man who's having their first child. Um, I would say definitely research, you know, because a lot mm-hmm. of times I thought of something that, you know, I've seen before, but then by me researching it, I found out that I didn't want that to be a part of my life anymore, you know? So I think you really Mm -hmm. have to research and be connected to who you are, you know? And I think this is having a child is a time that you can, you can really um, rebrand yourself, as I can say, or Mm -hmm. just find out who you truly want to be now, you know, because now you're bringing a new life, a new chapter, and everything is going to be on you now. So the things you want mm-hmm. to do, you can now do. You know, you have more control of your life now, I feel. You know, so I think you should definitely take time to yourself. For sure. And I think kind of going off of what you're saying is that there is this pressure. Um, and maybe pressure is not the correct word, but when your family has done things a certain way for generations, it's almost expected that you will continue to do the exact same thing. Um, But when you start your family, you're essentially starting like a new branch Mm -hmm. of your family tree. Your branch gets to bear whatever fruit you want it to bear. And it does not have to be in line with what your, your mom or your grandma or your great grandma did. So that, that is a great point for people to um, realize and understand. And I think a lot of times um, every generation or every child that's born, your, your, con- your contribution to your family is going against the grain because yes. with that, they're going out of their way because you don't know your parents wanted to do things that you're doing, but they didn't mm-hmm. have the strength or the confidence to do it, you know? And sometimes people are against you but in behind closed doors they're hoping that you don't give up because they really believe mm-hmm. in you you know so i think people have to really understand that you must really trust in yourself because the reason you had these ideas is because you're supposed to bring these ideas to the forefront for your family you know especially sure. black families too you know cuz we're 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 so stuck in a society where um we don't know our we, we don't really know our our history you know, and right. the only way we get these his, we get these thoughts are through ancestors and how we and and when we dream, you know, you just don't come up with these these feelings or these emotions for no reason, you know. So I think we just right. need to touch more in depth into these things, and you know, and we can start bringing back what we truly believe in and how we were. That's how I feel. For sure, yeah, y'all. You set a great example. Your plans did change. Mm-hmm. But your result was again that that precious that precious child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there any resources, affirmations, any um, words that you that either of you would want to share with um, moms and dads who are expecting or just have just given birth? Um, yeah, anything that comes to mind. Right. I think of um, one of the things that my doula would do adamant she did it every three days send me a different affirmation and I would just print it off and post it up in our house on the wall 
And one of my favorite ones was, um, you, your body was built for this. Mm-hmm. And um, my baby gives me the strength to do anything. And I feel like both of those are were so endearing to me. Whenever I was going through something, I just had to remind myself, my body knows what to do. It was built for this. That was it. My body knows what to do. It was built for this. And my baby gives me the strength because... You know, at the end of the day, if you keep your focus on why you're going through this process of birthing, why you're going through these sleepless nights postpartum, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all for your baby. It's all for the strength of your child. Right. Because you do anything Mm -hmm. for them. There's nothing you wouldn't do for your baby. And so one more. uh, Well, I have two more questions. Um, PJ, how do you feel a doula? Um, or a birth assistant like how how pivotal was that in your in your pregnancy and your labor and your delivery I think even more than just having the support of my husband it was so vital to have someone that I felt was a knowledgeable supportive service because as he said neither one of us have any children so Mm -hmm. we other than what we've read we had zero experience so it was nice to have the support and the softness that, you know, medical staff may not always offer you. Um, that was just so enriching with my doula giving me things such as like she had aromatherapy going. She knew that I hated IVs because I have a history of them blowing, which they did. And um, mm-hmm. so she played like a tantric sound to help calm my spirit and just to help calm me um she was very intuitive with my spirit and just like knowing like without me saying anything she would speak up for me at times to either ask um is there a way to get a blanket is there a way to get this you know just things to mm-hmm. cater to my needs because she knew she knew as a experienced doula she knew as a mother what I could possibly be going through what I might be thinking or feeling without me saying it. So it was very comforting to have her there because although my husband is definitely my rock and my support system, her experience provided that ease with me to let go. Cause otherwise you kind of are on this, this venture and you, you, you're struggling to trust everybody because you're in so much pain. So it's nice. To be able to just let go and trust this person that is the expert or who you give that permission to be your expert, you know, um, that's how yeah. I felt. I can only speak from my personal. Well, for me, I think it's a must have just like to yes. me how they it's mandatory for you have car insurance to drive a car. I feel like every mm-hmm. woman, especially a black woman, should have a doula slash uh, midwife. Because what they do for you and support is something that they become family now, you know? And and Mm -hmm. I think it takes time for you to find the right one because with our, with our doula, it was more like PJ picked three and they gave me, she gave me the numbers and then I eventually called them and then I'm big on energy. So once Mm -hmm. we talked, we ended up talking for like an hour and a half, you know? So then once, PJ asked me, did you call him? I said, I already know who I want. You know what I mean? I, you gave mm-hmm. me three. I know who I want. And then when we finally met her, 
we just knew it just worked, you know? And then like, because I'm a barber, I'd rather someone let me do my job than trying to co-manage me, you know? So since we believed in you to do this for our daughter, we let her be her, you know what I mean? And we trusted in what she gave us, her advice. And, and it turned out to be one of the greatest experiences of my life, you know? And I was glad that she was a black woman as well. You know what I mean? Because yes. we connect it, on different levels. You know? Absolutely. So it's mandatory, fellas. Definitely it's mandatory. And for me, I also felt that if more men were able to go to doctor's appointments and those little things, like anything in life, the little mm-hmm. things are what make everything better. Mm-hmm. You know? And because I was able to do those things and be there, I was more engaged, you know? And because of that, it really helped me to really realize how much I even loved my wife even more to be able to do that engagement, you know, internationally to disguise it as a photo shoot, you know, like those type of like doctor visits let you be more connected to your child as well, because she's hearing you, she's seeing you, she's feeling you guys together and it becomes a habit, you know? So now it's kind of hard to do things without each other because you've been doing this for so long. And I think that's what, you know, we have to get back to, you know, like even playing music for my daughter now, like I've been doing, that was our connection in the womb. And once she came mm-hmm. out, now that's all we do. You know what I mean? Like to really calm her, she listens to music and we dance, you know? So you start to build these things naturally, you know, and you have to just really know who you are to promote these things into your family and into your children. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that bond definitely starts before they even get into our arms. So I would like to know, who would you like to dedicate your episode to? It could be one person, it could be people, um, and and a brief why of why you chose that person. And you can both choose the same person or a different person. It's up to you. So I would like to dedicate my episode to my doula, LaVon. Because she was such a rock and still is. She's still part of our family. Um, I appreciate her even afterwards asking me for what could what could she do to make her doula service better. You know, just her passion, her mm-hmm. love for my family, my wellness, and for people. Not just me, but for people. I appreciate her so much. And I feel like even though things didn't go as planned, I know that it went as it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And she reminds me of that anytime I backslide and forget that. Shout out to your mm-hmm. doula, LaVon. Yes, is her name? LaVon McPherson. Yes. yes, yes, yes. And I would like to dedicate this podcast episode to uh, Fenisa's grandmother. Because without her wanting this, then this journey wouldn't have been possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm thankful for her for actually wanting me to give her grandchild a child, you know, because you don't really see too many grandmothers pressuring men to, you know, truly want them to have their have their grandchild for them, you know. So I just Mm -hmm. I'm honored for that and her sticking with it. You know, yeah. even though we're both September babies, you know, so I know once she said it, she meant it. So <laughs> this is for you, grandmother. Love you. Uh, that is such a beautiful way to end your episode. 
Again, thank you both so much for sharing your story, sharing your journey, sharing your um, the wisdom that you have learned um, as you went through your journey. It means a lot to um, to me that you chose or that you allowed my podcast to be where you shared where you shared your story. I, I greatly appreciate well, it. No, nah, not a problem. Tribe of Sons podcast. Be sure to visit our website, tribeofsons.com, to read our show notes as well as the resources shared in today's episode. Share with your loved ones. Peace.